Good morning, everybody. Hey, can we just give it up for worship one more time? A lot of fun, a lot of fun. Well, happy Mother's Day to the moms out there. Hope you guys got, how many, how many brunches in the room? Y'all going to brunch today or you came to church instead? Let's go, come on. Mimosas outside, right? Come on. Uh, Mother's Day is always a great day to celebrate. And it's one reason, um, you know, that we kind of try to make a special uh, event around Mother's Day is because you guys are so special and you put in a lot of hard work um, and that's just for your husbands. But um, uh, thanks for all that you do. So we are in this series today called Jesus People, as Sean was saying earlier, that we kicked this off last week. And just this idea around the culture of our church, the culture of what it means to be someone who says that they follow Jesus, like how do they behave? What does it feel like to be around them? What things get accepted or, or get encouraged or discouraged? And last week we opened up um, with the phrase, Jesus is our message. Jesus is our message and kind of wrap that around five words. He is first, he's the beginning. He's everything that he starts everything. He's last, everything's moving towards him. He's most, there's nothing that's ever greater or beyond him. He's, he's best, there's nothing better than him. All of life finds itself come together in Jesus and then he's must and we must, we must surrender our lives to him. And today what we want to talk about is the now generation, not the next generation, but the now generation. And every generation should care about the now generation, right? Like it doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, a builder, boomer, buster, X, Y, Z, alpha, millennial, or if you're one of those guys like, don't try to put me in a box. You can't categorize me. If you're one of those people, like what it, we know that the now generation is extremely important, especially with all of the, uh, uh, everything that's happening to them and the conflict that they face, the uncertainty that's in their lives, the hopelessness that they feel. But in the church world, and for those of us who do follow Jesus, and I recognize that not everybody does in the room, and we're really glad about that um, because we feel like we're going to paint a picture of who he is that's going to make you want to follow him. That's our expectation. But for those of us who follow him, I just want to throw out one fact today that should really stir in us this urgency around the now generation. In 1993, the average age of a pastor was, a, was 44 like rambunctious, clear-eyed, energetic, vivacious, 44 years old. The average age of a pastor now, 30 years later, is 54 years old. So in the course of 30 years, the average pastor, the average age of the pastor has increased by 10 years. So what does that mean? It means that there is, there's no young leaders coming along that the pipeline of the now generation of the future pastors, the future leaders of the church, of the future missionaries, of the future carriers of the gospel, they aren't there. That the, the people who will be reaching our grandkids and their grandkids and the generations and generations and thousands and thousands of generations, they aren't there. There's gonna be no one to provide the hope of Jesus. There's gonna be no one to reach into a marriage and help, help rescue it. There's gonna be no one to help people who were poor get up on their feet. There's gonna be no one but not on our watch, not on our watch. You know, things are different for kids now. Have you noticed this? Like, do you remember growing up for most of us? Like I can remember I had a bike, a little huffy bike and we would go down to the trails. My mom would let me go down to the trails and we'd go riding our bikes down to the trails and we'd leave sometime early in the morning and we'd go down there and we would build forts and we would, you know, we would have campfires and we would fish in the creek and we'd build ramps to see how far we could go without killing ourselves. And you remember that? And, and what happened? When we got hungry or it got dark, we'd come home. Like today, if your kids kind of walk out in the backyard, you're like, here, here's your cell phone just in case you need something out there. Like we are scared to death. It's just, it's just a different day, you know? 
They got TikTok, we had MTV. They got Instagram, we had the Polaroid. Life's different now. Life is changing now. And, and, and kids face, the now generation faces different, different obstacles in their way. And there's nothing that we can do to stop the change. The change is coming. But what we can do is we can invest in the change makers is what we can do. That's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus' people do. You have something to invest. I don't care who you are. You've got wisdom. You've got dollars. You've got mistakes and failures. You've got knowledge. You've got time. You've got experience. You have something to invest. And what I want to do is just make the case is that you need to be investing that today. And I want to make you feel really guilty if you aren't. All right? So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of 2 Timothy today. 2 Timothy, just a little background on 2 Timothy. We would love for you to turn there or grab your phone, tablet, whatever it may be that for you to turn to your Bible. 2 Timothy, and we're going to start out in verse 1. And so what I want to do, is, let, me, let me just paint a little picture of who Timothy was. Like Timothy was part of the now generation when we first meet him in the Bible. And so we'll unpack that in a second. But in, in today's letter, this is a letter written from, from his mentor, Paul. Let's all say Paul together. Paul. Paul is writing a letter to Timothy and Paul is in prison. Paul is in prison in Rome and, and things aren't going well. And Timothy is the pastor of the most influential church in the region, church in Ephesus. And they are a sending agency. Man, they have started church after church after church. And that's what they're doing. And Paul has left Timothy in charge of this church, the most important church in the region. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And he's not writing it to say, hey, I need better lawyers. <laughs> My defense isn't going well. He's not writing it to say, I need a different defense strategy. And he is writing it to say, be sure, come to see me so I can be sure that you are equipped and ready to lead the charge when I am gone. Paul doesn't say, hey, be sure my name is over the doorway of the church as people come in. He doesn't care about that. He is overriding and overwhelming concern is that Timothy would continue the work of the gospel for generations. And so this is what we have as Paul jumps into this letter. In verse 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now, he's looking at Timothy. Timothy isn't his biological child, but he's his spiritual child. And so family language is the language of, of the church in the Bible. Like, you may have grown up in a church where everybody was like, hey, brother, hey, brother, what's going on? You're like, what in the world are they talking about? Like, are we in Arkansas? All these people are related. Like, what is happening? You're welcome. And there's more where that came from today because I'm in a mood. Um, and so t t Paul just looks at Timothy as his son in the faith. And that's how we should look at the now generation. That is how we should look at them. He says, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. So right there you see generations. With a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, Timothy had cried when Paul had left him uh, to go to, when he got taken to prison in Rome. He says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Starts in the family, starts in the home. He says, now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. And for this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
but of power, love, and self-control. Remember, Paul's the one in prison, not Timothy, and he's telling him, don't be afraid, don't be scared. You have power, you have love, you should have self-control. This is Paul's advice, his investment in his protege, in the now generation student, Timothy. Verse 13, it says, follow the pattern of sound teaching, words that you heard from me. I told you some things, Timothy, don't forget those. I invested some things in you, don't forget those. You heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul had deposited some things in Timothy. It's like, don't forget that. Don't lose that. I want want something on my investment back, right? Guard that deposit. Man, the first thing that we see in this is that Jesus people, they just have a generational outlook. Jesus people, man, we just have a generational outlook. Now, now, what we see in the Bible is lots of past generations are, are, are referenced because when Paul says, I thank the God whom I, I serve, as did my ancestors, God values past generations. Over 150 times in the Bible, we see that past ge- generations are referenced. And Jesus' people, they have this overriding concern and this, they have this outlook that's generational and they look back. In the book of Deuteronomy, we kind of see this highlighted. It's a, it's a place in the Bible kind of over towards the beginning. Um, in Deut- Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, verse 7, it says this. It says, remember the days of old. <clears throat> Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you and your elders and they will tell you. Looking back on the past generations, that's how valuable it was to Paul and in, in, in the Bible that generations out, we have a generational outlook that we're part of some, something larger, that we're standing on the shoulders of people who came before us. I want you to think about this story for a second. There was a church down in Atlanta. It was, it was uh, Ponce de Leon Church down in Atlanta. And they got this vision that there was this burgeoning suburb and they should put a church there. So they started a church in Marietta, Georgia, called Johnson Ferry. Johnson Ferry, about 20, 30 years later, gets this passion, this burden for this growing suburb to have a church, this growing suburb called Alpharetta, Georgia, and Stone Creek Church was birthed. So you just have this generational outlook in life. Now, I'm, I'm a pastor, but there's no, in the generation before me, my mom's generation, there were no pastors, but the generation before her, there were like thousands and thousands of them, I'll just say, pastorally speaking, right? Pastors. And so my great-grandfather, who I'm named after, started 35 churches. He helped start Piedmont Bible College, and his brother helped start Wake Forest, right? generations that happen and we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and we can never forget that. And so rather than criticize the now generation because their music is weird, um, and guess what? In about five years, you're going to hate the music that we do here too. And you should hope that we do. That means we're reaching people, right? And, and rather than criticizing, man, we should mobilize them. Amen, somebody? Like we should mobilize them and look to help invest in them. Listen, Jesus people don't just value the past though. We also value the future generations. You know, we keep our eyes on the future. So many churches have died because they kept their eyes on the past. They wanted their preferences. They wanted to have it their way. They want to do things the way they used to be done. And now those churches are dying. And so we know that God values children. We know that even in the Bible, there's this... There's teenager after teenager after teenager that get used. So let me just throw out a couple of them. You remember a guy named King David? King David, the greatest king in the nation of Israel. King David killed Goliath when he was how old? Roughly a teenager, 14, 15 maybe. Now generation. There was this queen named Esther. 
that she finds herself as queen of the, in, the, in the Persian Empire when, when the, the leaders of the Persian Empire want to eradicate the Jewish people and Esther steps into the gap and saves them and rescues them? What about Mary, the mother of Jesus, probably 13, 14, when that goes down? Just this now generation, this youthful movement. And then all of Jesus' disciples were under the age of 18, except maybe one. So if you think his disciples were roughly from the age of 14 to 17, and he trusted them with the mission to save the world. Like God just values kids. He values youth. He values everybody. You know, in Mark chapter 10, you may remember when the kids are kind of scrambling around Jesus and uh, the disciples are trying to shoo them away. It says in verse 13, it says, they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, like, it, that's just the, that's the quintessential kids are to be seen, not heard. You like that? Like how many of you, your parents raised you that way? Kids are to be seen and not heard. Anybody remember that? I am the only one. Okay. Um, that's awesome. Jesus said, huh, when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them for such belongs to the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, he blessed them, and he laid hands on them. So we just see this value that Jesus placed in kids. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the blessing he would have said. And so we know and that God values children. Now, now I think this is the moment. I just want to wait in the cultural moment for just a second. If we're going to talk about a God who values children, I think probably everybody in the room heard about the leaked documents from the Roe v. Wade case before the Supreme Court. How many people heard about that this week? I knew I would get a lot of hands there. Now, before we get distracted with rhetoric and conflict and political language and venom and all that surrounds that, man, man let, let's don't let that happen to us. There's a lot of words that get used, and I'm sensitive that we have some, 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 some youth and some kids in the service today. So don't, don't mistake some of my careful language for the intensity with which I believe in this. And I'm going to tell you a story on the back end that will help bring that to light. But we know, based on the Bible, that Jesus' people, that God is the author of life, that God gives life. That God sustains life. We talked about last week that, that Jesus said he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Like this is the God that we serve. You know, and there's always these debates and these nuances and these exceptions that we want to talk about. And, and, as the, and as the saying goes, let's don't focus on the exceptions, but let's focus on being exceptional. You know, in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5, it says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you. I mean, that answers the question. That answers the question. And as we look back to 1973, we're talking about 63 million lives. Children, but we're also talking about 63 million moms and dads. And many times they don't get a lot of they don't get a lot of attention in this issue. You know, Paul said this, your body is not your own. You were bought with a price, therefore honor God with your body. And so we know that this devastation wreaks havoc on moms and dads. Now, 
more, more specifically on moms, because I think we can all admit that moms feel this more emotionally, that it's more devastating. As you look at any research around this, it's traumatizing for moms. And we also know with that number of, of moms, that in this room, there's more than just a handful of people. Some of you I've met and known, heard your story, some of you maybe not. But what I want to say to you today is, you know, we will stand for truth, but man, you have to live with grace. Amen, somebody? That there is a God who loves you deeply, no matter your regrets or your shame or your pain or how much you wish you could erase it or forget it or whatever emotion you may feel, that you don't have to, you don't have to live with that. Like, we really believe that Jesus came to rescue everybody, everybody. And don't think that you're a second-class citizen or defective or deficient or any of the other words that you tell yourself, worthless, all the things I can only imagine. So with that, with that being said, you know, um, my wife is adopted. And so we, we've had the conversation, what would it have been like if her mom would have gotten pregnant with her in 1974? Life would have been, could have been completely different. She wouldn't have been able to raise me. <laughs> or our kids. So I'm grateful for her mom. Her, I'm grateful for the mom that adopted her and her dad, I'm, all of that, because it, it's, it hits close to home for us, but a little closer even than that. When, um, my, she, when Debbie was pregnant with my second son, Ethan, that was back in, I guess, 95, uh, we, we, had, we had just decided we were going into ministry. So I had sold, we had sold our house and we were staying with some friends and we were just kind of gypsies for a season and so before I moved to go uh, to school. And so she woke up one morning and she had some complications and uh, it was urgent. So we rushed to the doctor's office uh, and they did a sonogram quickly and diagnosed what the problem was. And in those moments, they told us, listen, if this doesn't clear up, if this doesn't rectify, if God doesn't do something, then, then you're going to have a choice to make. Man, and if you haven't dealt with that question, just be careful what you wade into. Again, we can, we can stand for truth, but we live with grace. And, and by God's grace, we're so grateful um, that she gave birth to Ethan, and he's awesome. He's our favorite. Um, <laughs> but for the cultural moment of today, hey, don't not know what you think. And more than that, don't not know what God says about this issue. Because that's going to be indefensible before him. And as your pastor, I want you to be prepared and equipped. Amen? So we know God values, values, values the now generation. And Jesus' people actively invest in the now generation. Jesus' people actively invest in the now generation. Several years ago, we started uh, several different programs so that our church can be about investing in the now generation. But you know what? It starts at home. It starts at home. Watching in 1 Timothy chapter 5, as he's, excuse me, one, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, as Paul is writing this, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So we see that this investment starts at home. Now we see mom and grandma listed. Moms, you got a hard job. Hello? Right? Like you're just unseen. It's difficult work. Uh, it's expensive. Um, you could, you know, fly to Paris for the weekend if you didn't have all those children. And you feel unappreciated at times. But it's so rewarding, isn't it? It's so rewarding. 
But sometimes moms can feel kind of left out, feel like they're on the outskirts. But what you do is very important, as we can see. Because Paul met Timothy when Timothy was 16 years old. And Paul met his, his, his mother and grandmother at the same time. And so while Paul is planning a church in Lystra, he leads Lois and Eunice to follow Jesus and then Timothy close behind. And then he takes Timothy and begins to travel and invest with him. But he know, we know it starts at home. And so one of the things that, as I said, you know, Jesus prayed a prayer of blessing over the children. There are three things um, that Jesus would have prayed over. Number one, he, a priest would have prayed that they would love the law, that they would love God's word. They would have this passion for it. They would read it and want to learn it and want to know it, and they could be able to recite it. And in those days, they would, they would memorize the first five books of the Bible. It was pretty impressive. The second thing they would pray would be that their, their, their parents' marriage would be solid and faithful, that it would be life-giving. And then the third thing we pray is that they would be known for good works. Those are the three things that they would pray for their kids. And so we should be about some of the same things. Number one, we should be teaching our kids the Bible. Like, like the, the primary place for the Bible to be read, for the Bible to be taught, for the Bible to be talked about is in the home. Now, I, I, I get it. For a lot of people, that feels intimidating. Like the only time the Bible's in your home is when I come over for dinner and you put one on the coffee table. I know how that goes. I've been to some of your houses. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, so, but if that feels intimidating, we have all kinds of ways and training to be able to equip you to be able to handle that, to be able to do that with people, and to be able to teach your kids to be able to follow God's word. You will, you, the things you get from kids from our kids' ministry, whenever they come home and they bring verses home, you should just use that to be able to talk about what's going on in God's Word. One of the primary ways you can ensure that your, your child or even grandchild continues in the faith is that you live out what you talk about. Like, like you, you actually live out what you say you believe, and the Bible is a place that starts that. Faithful marriages. You know, I, man, we live in an age where, man, single motherhood is on the rise. You know, my mom was effectively a single mom because my dad suffered for some mental health issues. And so I really have this heartbeat uh, for single moms. But I also understand, you know, the structure and the foundation and the beauty of a home where mom and dad are on the same page together. And we can't sacrifice the ideal because many of us have gone through things that were less than ideal. Like we can still fight for that. And so what kids see in the, in the marriage of, the, of their parents. Now, God, again, he, he fills in gaps in ways that we could never dream of. And then the third thing is that they would be known for good works. Now, now I think in, in our age, we have this tendency maybe to overemphasize our kids. And I know I'm talking about the now generation, but let me just make this one point. We, uh, we're investing in our kids. We're not worshiping our kids. Amen, somebody? Like they are not in charge. <laughs> they are not in charge. And they think they are. And our job is to teach them that they are not. And so what are some ways maybe that you're worshiping your kids rather than investing in your kids? Like, like do, you, do you live vicariously through your children? You're at a sporting event. And you just want them to do their best, right? Because it makes you look good. That's why. And sometimes we live vicariously through our kids and we want them to follow our dreams and do the things we didn't get to do and have the experiences that we didn't have. But that's... That's putting them at the center of our lives, which is not where they should be. You know, do you have the proper boundaries for kids? Like too many kids today tell their parents what to do. Like kids need boundaries. They need stability. They need a foundation. They need to know that mom or dad is going to say no when something happens. They also need to know that mom and dad are going to say yes as much as possible. But we need to have boundaries for kids. Why? Because we're not worshiping them. 
Like they do dictate, we sacrifice for them and we, we spend a lot on their schedules and I totally understand that, but they need to know that they aren't the center of the universe. I am. <laughs> or maybe God is. Maybe God is because they're learning a lot about God, about how we teach them and how we train them and how we invest in them. And are, are you scared of your kids? Like, oof, I don't want to tell them that. They're going to lose their mind. Oh, that's just going to be a temper tantrum. Yeah, you may, you may be worshiping them. If, if you're married and you have kids, do you ever, tell, you ever tell your kids, hey, don't tell your mom, don't tell your dad? That's a bad idea. You're worshiping your kids. Hey, let's invest in them, give them knowledge and resources and time, but let's, and, and let's let them know they're valuable, that they have a place, they have an identity, they have a voice, but, but let's also show them how to relate to a God who's actually number one, not kids who think they're number one. You see, it starts, it starts in the home, uh, but it requires other people. It requires other people. If you look at for, in verse 6, it says this, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame. Now, now one of the things, I, I missed a question. Let me, I want to go back to this question. Uh, what, what, what do you want your kids to be known for? Like, what do you want your kids to be known for? For those of you who are parents. Is it their resume? Is it their job? Is it their house? Is it their car? Is it their athletic achievements? Man, is it their grades? Is it the college they get into? What do you want them to be known for? And then Paul comes along and says, we got to fan into flame this gift that God's put in them. And, and if you ever started a campfire or fanned something into a flame that was just a spark, it, it takes some work. I can remember as a kid, when I, uh, I went to a Boy Scout event and they were teaching us how to start a campfire. And I can remember you get these embers blowing and then you have to blow on it. And, and, and you can't just stand like way off from it and blow on it. You got to get really close. You got to get ashes in your eyes. <laughs> you got to get smoke in your lungs. Like you got to get close. You have to fan this into flame. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a study that shows that kids from the age of 14 to 18 will stay in the faith if they have five different adults that fan them, fan something into flame in their life. Some of you guys are doing that. Like some of you guys do that in your home. Some of you guys do that here. You volunteer at Wake and you volunteered for like 19 years. Like I'm looking at you, Amy, like you've been in our student ministry forever. Like what in the world? And you still look like you're 21. So um, we have people that just fan that into flame. But it's important to have another adult in their life that helps with that. You know, my son John, when he was a senior in high school, there was a friend of ours who was staying with us. And um, while he was transitioning here, and so he was staying with us for a little while, and he challenged my son John, a high school senior, to read the Bible through in six weeks. And they did. And it just has sowed seeds of strength and vision and Jesus into my son's life that I, that I probably couldn't have done alone. Man, there's somebody out there who may need you. In, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says this. It says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. Man, the word entrust just means to set the table. It's another word we have for that word deposit into the now generations. So Paul is saying, hey, you heard some things from me. I told you some things. Now you need to also pass those along to other people. Man, we all need somebody in our life who's going to help us. It's going to give us wisdom and experience and knowledge that we, couldn't, that we could never have gained on our own. You know, if, if, if you, some of the superhero movies, they always have someone that comes alongside to rescue them, to help them, to guide them. You know, if you look back at Star Wars, The Phantom Menace, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi needed some help. And Liam Neeson came along to help him. 
You know, if you look at Batman Returns, Batman didn't know how to take Gotham back. He didn't know how to bring light to his city, and he loved the city deeply, and he had someone come alongside him to help him, to show him the way, Liam Neeson. <laughs> and then Balian, Orlando Bloom in the kingdom of heaven, was a blacksmith and burned his shop down because he was lost and his wife was gone. He didn't know what to do, and someone came along to give him an identity, and it was Liam Neeson. So the moral of the story is be Liam Neeson. <laughs> be who you needed when you were a kid. Be who you needed when you were a kid. Be that word, voice of encouragement. Be that presence. And be that wise sage. Like, be who you needed when you were a kid. And we all needed somebody. Some of us got it. Some of us didn't. Be who you needed. Some kids you know, they're one adult away from life change. Just one adult away. One, one conversation one investment, one prayer, one sacrificial, financial, generous gift. They're just one adult away. Paul had Timothy. Who do our kids have? They have us. I love Tom Nelson's a pastor, and he had this quote. He said this, I want 20-year-old Paul Bears at my funeral, young men with tears in their eyes, carrying my lifeless body, thanking God for the deposit I put in their souls. Love that. Love that. We can't ever take our eye off the now generation. What deposit are you making in the now generation? Like what time deposit? Because I get everybody's got, we got different schedules. We travel. There's lots of different things that happen. Like what deposit are you making? One of our staff members, he carpools and carries like six little girls to, well, six, I don't think they're all little girls, but six, you know, young first and second graders to school every morning. And he prays for them every morning. He just takes advantage of his natural rhythm. Like, what, what deposit are you making? What are you investing in the Nile generation? You know, one of the things that we have started is our leadership development program. Several years ago, I just caught this vision uh, for this training ground that we could provide uh, for people who thought they may be called into ministry. Because I, I didn't have the hands-on training I wished I would have had. So we bring, uh, you know, the Nile Gen onto our staff team and they get to do projects and they get to be with us and they get to just sit in meetings and they get to learn, they get to ask questions. And so it's been one of the highlights of our church, those that we've been able to train and those that we've been able to send out. And I thought, what better way to close out today's service than have one of those come on the stage to help us out? Well, good morning, y'all. Good morning. How are we doing? Uh, first, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. Shout out to all the moms out there. Y'all rock. Um, a little bit about me. My name is Ben. Um, I will be graduating from Cambridge High School in a few weeks. And <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. And I will be attending the University of Tennessee in the fall. So go Vols. <laughs> go, go Vols. I'm excited about it. Um, I have been coming to Stone Creek pretty much my whole life. So um, Really, this church has just been investing in me and pouring into me at a really young age. Uh, it all started um, going to Stone Creek Kids and coming to Camp Arrowhead as a little kid. Um, then going into middle school, I started attending Wake, and I started volunteering as a junior counselor in, uh, at Camp Arrowhead. And, um, you know, though I hadn't necessarily accepted Jesus as my Savior yet, 
Um, this church really just being invested in the now generation was just planting seeds in my heart that would later bloom. And so uh, going into high school, um, I, I kept going awake and I, I started working as a full-time counselor at camp. And then um, at Wake, at one of our retreats, in pause, pause 2021 is when things finally clicked in me and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so, um, so yeah, after that, um, you know, this church was just so supportive for me. They really just gave me so much help and support, which really helped me solidify my faith. And so then um, I got the opportunity to be an intern at Wake, the student ministry, over the past year. And it was just really a life-changing experience. And, um, you know, just looking back at it, being able to just work in ministry over the last year and doing life with my man, Sean Curry over here. Can we get it up for Sean real quick? He's just amazing. You know, I, I really just realized uh, in my heart that I wanted to do ministry full time as well. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, so I'll be going to college to study religion and communications, fun stuff. I'm excited about it. But enough about me. Can we just talk about how good our God is, that he's able to take our plans and just completely change them for the better? And th that's really what I want to talk to you all about today. I really want to talk to you all about the gospel, the great news of Jesus. And so first things first, there is a God. He is good. Yeah. Our God is a good God who created all things. He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created the animals, the trees, the oceans. He created you. He created me. And our God's a perfect God. He is without sin. He's without mistake. And he does all things. Uh, he does all things perfectly. Um, however, there is a problem, and that problem is sin. Um, the sin that entered the earth through Adam and Eve caused us to be separated from God, caused us to be distant from God, and this, this sin really infected the earth and left the earth really broken and hopeless. I mean, if you, you check the news right now, it's not hard to, you know, realize that we live in a broken and hopeless world. However, there is a hope, and his name is Jesus. Amen. Yeah. God in his goodness sent his son, Jesus, to come down to earth and to die a death that he did not deserve so that we could live a life that we don't deserve in faith through him. So what does that mean? What do we do with that? Um, so we can respond to that good news by surrendering our life to Jesus. And some of y'all may be wondering right now, what does it mean to surrender your life to Jesus? So basically surrendering your life to Jesus means that you are taking yourself off the throne of your life and you are putting Jesus there. And I'm, that, that, is, that is the simple gospel. That is the good news. And so, you know, that may be some of y'all today. Some of y'all may be, may, that, but that may be your next step, is that you want to surrender your life to Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to lead y'all in a prayer real quick. Jesus, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you died on the cross for us. I believe that you rose from the dead and you defeated death so that we could have life through you. And today, I'm choosing to surrender my life to you and put you back on the throne that you deserve. 
you know, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if that was you, you know, the way that we mark those moments, that is just by raising our hand. And so if that's you, we're just head bowed and eyes closed. If that was you, I'm just going to count to three and give you a chance to mark this moment today just by raising your hand. Let's make eye contact just on the count of three. One, two, three. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, God, we're just grateful. Oh, man, thanks for Ben and just for what you're doing in the life of our kids. Lord, there will not be a void in leadership uh, in the church, the next generation, God, because of the investment that you're making. Lord, thank you for how much you love us and care for us and how much you give us hope. And God, that we would always listen uh, to what you're telling us to do. We'd always invest. We'd always take the steps you've called us to take, Lord. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Good job, bro. Good job. Let's give it up for Ben one time.